songs for every swing tour. And this is the Orient Hour on Phoenix Welcome once again to the Orient Hour with Steve and Trevor and delighted to have with us too this evening uh, Steve Embleton, father of Ross of course, uh, de- head of development and indeed global coach at, uh, at Leighton Orient. Uh, Steve has worked with Tottenham and Chelsea and AFC Wimbledon as well as the O's, uh, grassroots level right up to top level and uh, so the family has the, the interim head coach in Ross and the head global coach which which means uh, what exactly steve tell us su- sum up what what that role involves well first of all good evening and thanks for having me on the show uh yeah really uh d- development wise um it's it's about uh developing all the aspects of what we deliver um as a club away from the football pitch which is things like college programs development programs, girls football, I'll go into, into depth a little bit later. Uh, and also the global part of it is um, initiating partnerships with clubs abroad. Uh, at the moment we've got two clubs that we work with in, in India. We've got two clubs that will deliver player development programs in the USA and also another partnership club which is based in Denmark. Excellent. Okay. Well, we'll talk about that later. We also have an interview with Chairman Nigel Travis, who talks about what went wrong with the appointment of Carl Fletcher and what he might do differently next time. We'll reflect on an interesting question and answer session with uh, Nigel and Martin Ling and Danny Macklin that took place before Saturday's game against Scunthorpe. We'll look back at that match, of course. And forward to the next one this Saturday, home again to that strange old club that is Forest Green Rovers. But first, I'm afraid, it's, uh, it's Scunthorpe. We went in pretty optimistically, I'd have said, after the, the horrors of Morecambe and Malden. Um, up against a team in the bottom four, they had the worst away record in the division, although they'd just beaten Sunderland 3-0, to be fair. And most supporters in a big crowd uh, seemed happy enough to judge from the social media and elsewhere that, that Carl Fletcher had been removed after barely a month and that Ross was back in charge. Uh, the team news was that Joe Widdison wasn't fit, so Dan Happy was at left-back and JMD got a, a midfield place. But we did go with two up front, Louis Dennis uh, supporting Matt Harold, which a lot of people had been asking for. Uh, Lee Angor happily available as a substitute, though not ready clearly for a full 90 minutes. And still no Connor Wilkinson after he got injured up at Morecambe. So it seemed, Trevor, a, a positive s- selection and, and one that might have some goals in it, but... Yeah, big but, of course. Um, I'll pick up on your point straight away with uh, Dan Happy at left fullback. Obviously, I think we need a bit of cover for uh, Joe Widdison. Um, I've come to the conclusion that JMD can't play on the same side as Brophy, because I'm a big JMD fan. I've been a little bit disappointed of his form of late, and it was nice to see us playing with two recognised forwards. But everything felt a little bit flat to me uh, from the start, considering Martin said that 
there's going to be a bit of a reaction. The boys are up for it. They're buzzing and in the uh, question and answer session. And um, I know Ross only had an hour and a half with the, the players, what he said last night, and another show. So it must have been difficult in that aspect. But with the crowd, the £5 sellout, I wish you want to stop hyping that up. It just, it just didn't, for me, didn't get going. And a poorly taken corner from Scunthorpe, the fella puts it in the top corner and we're, we're sort of behind the eight ball. But the positives, Lee Angol come on, um, which is good to see. Uh, also, I'd have liked to have seen a bit of a change. I'd like to see um, Happy gone into the centre with Ek Pateta, maybe, because I felt Josh and Craig Clay looked very exposed last week against Morton and Morden and Tiptree. So maybe a little show out there but we huffed and puffed couldn't knock the door down disputed second goal for them was it offside I don't know it looked about two foot offside but yeah I was very 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 disappointed of the overall performance and uh, but we'll be looking forward to this week to see uh, if there's a bigger reaction because obviously the news would affect it all all people in equally I suppose Course. Two, two excellent goals, in fact, from their point of view, weren't they? Were very well taken goals. Yeah, I mean, the fellas put the ball through for the second one. He got a little bit fortunate for the ricochet, but it was a nice little pass in there. But when the bloke's got one on one, well, he's hit it lovely. I mean, if, if our bloke scores it, you'd be replaying it all day long. So, fair play to Scunthorpe. They, I think they've been a bit of a false league position, to be honest, because their name was relegated last year. I thought they would have been top half minimum when they've seen them struggling at the bottom so they've obviously done something to turn it around and he, he's the exit which guy in charge there he's, he's, he's doing okay and uh, he's, 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 they're, they're no fools they'll be top half they're just obviously getting used to their circumstances after being relegated Yes Dan happy not very happy as, as you said at left back that just wasn't really working was it um, couldn't really complain at being subbed um, Shadrach Ogi, I suppose, is is a is a contender. Is he ready? Do we think? Well, we don't know if he's ready if he, he gets put in. And the report, I didn't go to the leasing game, but lots of people were raving about him. But I feel that we just need a little more pace in the centre. And Marvin, I think, has played enough games now. And I'd like to see Dan next to him because his footballing brain's second to none. That gives him that extra yard of pace. And it would have been a nice. 25 minutes to see him go. They were, they were, they were quite competent at Salford away this year, I remember, because Dan started left back there, Coulson went off, and then he come and, and we saw the game out up there. So, yeah, I think it may be a time that one or two changes may be needed. That's from a fan's point of view. Seems almost a bit rotten to say it about Josh Coulson, but there are, have been one or two games where he has looked a bit off the pace, to be fair. Well, the, the Morden and Tiptree one, we were crying out for uh, somebody to take a yellow, as they say. But he, he's been excellent for the Orient and he's just probably struggling for the, the step up because the forwards are quicker. And um, I feel that maybe a little bit of a change in when we're chasing a game could do it. But they're the big decisions that Ross will have to make in the future, of course. And there was that little flurry after half time, as there, as there often is, following the half time talk. But uh, I don't know about you, once the second goal went in, I didn't really think we were going to get back into it, did you? Although, of course, James Alarby had a couple of late chances. Yeah, James come on and done what James normally does. He flattened the keeper, which got the crowd going a little bit. But maybe James should start with Matt Harold, who knows? They're, they're the decisions for the, the manager to make. The, the, the second half, like I said, we huffed and puffed. and. It, it was just a whole flat day. I mean, I'm, 
I really want the crowd to get behind everything for the, the whole 90 minutes. Yeah, I feel the team gets lifted, but sometimes the team's got to lift the crowd and maybe just the, the shock of Cole actually being relieved of his duties as clinically as he was shocked everybody. It was a talk of everybody around the ground and so that would filter through everywhere. So onwards and upwards for the O's, that's all I can say. Well, yes, I'm into that. And, and uh, of course, an early goal. The, the crowd have been a bit flat, I think, some games this season, as you say. And, and an early goal, of course, always has that effect. Um, let's go back to Steve. Steve, do you get to see most of the, the games, home or away, or are you often working elsewhere? Sorry, we're not, we're not quite hearing you on that one. Um, can you come, come a bit closer to uh, Trevor's microphone? And see if you can, uh, OK, so doing a little duo now. Right, <laughs> Yeah, do have pro- we do have problems with the microphones here from time to time. Uh, yeah, sorry, you were saying uh, you, you get to... Much yeah, I go to every, every one of the, the home games and trying to get to as many away games as I can, but because of uh, coaching duties sometimes, I you know, just haven't got the time to get to many away games. And do you, do you talk to Ross much about the games afterwards or is, does, is that not... Not done? Not really, no. I mean, Ross is his own man, always has been. Um, I, hope, I like to think that sometimes he does ask my opinion, but it's, you know, it's usually just a glass of wine and a chat, a friendly chat after the game with Martin and himself and whoever else comes down into the office. I think, uh, you know, he's got enough coaching staff and people around him to give him better advice than I, I could. Course, does he is he one of those who takes his worries home? Do you think he's he's got the family at home? Of course, yeah. or can he switch off? Yeah, no, no, he's uh, he's on it most of the time, which is uh, obviously a little bit of a worry for myself and, and my wife. Um, but it's you know he's he's always been hundred percent in anything he does. Uh, wherever he's worked, he's always tried to do the best things that he can do in the way that he thinks should be done. Obviously, you know, he's going to have people that are supportive to what he does and people that are, you know, not so supportive. Uh, but that's, I think, not just in football, but any sort of walk of life, you're going to get that. Um, but no, no, he's a he's a, he's a young man in his way. Excellent. Well, let's broaden the discussion out uh, a little bit. Um, last week's programme here came literally a few hours after the news that Carl Fletcher had become one of Orient's shortest serving managers ever in history. I think his 29 days did still beat uh, poor old Paul Wentz. 21, wasn't it? Some 30 odd years ago. But uh, 29 days was all he got. Um, Chairman Nigel Travis was over from the States and he spoke to me after Saturday's game. Well, Nigel, putting aside the disappointment of, of this result and looking at the broader picture, could you just sum up for us on, on Carl Fletcher? Just why didn't that work out? Uh, good question, Steve. Um, I think the first thing I would say is this is a club that has gone through a lot in the last, let's say, three years. Um, if you think about it, near bankruptcy, the takeover... We came in with a strong plan and part of that was to build a very strong culture. Uh, we then started not so well. We brought in Justin. Justin took us to the back of the Football League, did a great job. Um, and then we go to the trophy final. That was kind of a blip because even though we lost, we all kind of had a great party afterwards and it's amazing what a few drinks did and that was the last time I saw Justin. And then obviously he passed away, which was probably the most traumatic thing that can happen to any club. But then we banded together. We used the leadership of Ross. 
to pull everyone together. He did a great job. And I think when he decided he didn't want to continue doing the job, we obviously decided to go out, met a lot of candidates. I think most people know the process, so I won't repeat it. We thought it was a very thorough process. Um, but unfortunately, it didn't work out. I think I'd say it's down to the fact it's a difficult culture to come into. It's a very tight group. Um, Carl may not have had the right personality for that group. Um, and we kind of figured out there may be an issue fairly quickly. We obviously hoped there wouldn't be, but we didn't see things getting better, so we felt it was better to make a, a quick decision. Fortunately, Ross, for the third time, has stepped up. Obviously, I had a good start today, but um, I think it's very difficult, and this is a club that relies on very open communication. I mean, you've been part of that yourself, um, and I, I just don't think that was Carl's back. You clearly thought you'd got the right man at the time, though. Oh, yeah. I mean, we thought he was going to really help from a coaching point of view, and I was talking today to Joe Widdison, who was injured, and he said some of his ideas on the training ground were really good. But, you know, being a head coach or manager, it's no different from being in business. You have to motivate people, you have to stimulate them, and, I mean, you were at the meeting with me today. Someone kind of summed it up that you got to try and get professional footballers not only put 100% in, it's the extra 10% you're looking for. So... Somehow it didn't work. We felt it was better for the club. And we always make the decisions based on what's best for the club to move on. And I suppose the next question is, what do we do at Ross? I think we just stand back, relax, let Ross carry on, see how he feels about it, see how we feel about it. No end date. Um, and I think it's probably going to take a week or two just to get back to normal. Um, but we wish Carl the very best um, and we're disappointed it didn't work out But the board have clearly got a lot of faith in Ross who's spoken of very highly Yeah, I mean, Ross is a good coach and uh, he's also got and I think it's developing over time I think he's actually getting more confidence in himself which is a good thing I think he generally didn't think he could do the job when he said he couldn't. Um, but Ross is a thoughtful guy. I know he does a lot of reading and thinking. And I think there's some things that he could take from Carl. I think there's things he could take from elsewhere. Yeah, we got a lot of faith in Ross and we like the way that... I mean, we really love the way he handled a very difficult situation in the summer. And... You know, I was just talking to Kerry Edinburgh, so, I mean, a lot of that replayed. I mean, I remember the day we heard that Justin had passed. I had Craig Clay, Josh Colson, Martin Ling and Ross Embleton with me. Telling the players was... Well, Martin did it. was terrible. Um, it was also very helpful that we were together. Um... Then we had to tell the players on the phone. That was dreadful. I mean, I don't think anyone can realise, and this is where I think it made it difficult for Carl, what it was like as a club. And I'm sure he found it frustrating that 
the aura of what happened still hung over the place. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it was very unfortunate. You know, I would have loved him to come in, be the manager for the next 10 years, but unfortunately it didn't work out. And you have suggested that if you, if and when you go through the recruiting process again, you might do one or two things differently? Yeah, I mean, we've talked about all kinds. I mean, recognising that the fit is probably even more important than it may be in some clubs because we've got such a strong culture. I mean, there's all kinds of things. I mean, as, as I think the world knows, I interviewed him on FaceTime. Perhaps next time I'll have whoever come to Boston walk around Boston, have a dinner together, have a breakfast together, see the person in different situations. I mean, I always have a rule when I was a CEO that anyone who worked for me, I met them four times in difficult, in different situations. And it doesn't stop you making a mistake. I mean, a few years ago, I had a guy who everyone said was the brightest guy you'll ever see. He'd worked with this guy before. He came in and the guy just... So no process is perfect. Um... So we will do things differently. Um, I think our process is probably as thorough as most clubs, but clearly we, we need to do it better. And I, you know, for everyone on the Orient now, which by the way I listen to, um, I love it. it's one hour format, very straightforward. But I think, I think you know, we owe it to the fans to do better next time, if there is a next time, and you know, perhaps there won't be a need for a next time. Just a couple more. Is this season in some ways a bit of a free pass, given that we were at least a year ahead of the schedule you set? No, not really. I mean, we've... firstly, I'm a fan. I mean, as a fan, I want to Orient to be as successful as they can. So today's result was disappointing, but we're still in November. Um, I don't know how many points we were off the playoffs but we could if we can get on a run like we did under Ross about eight apparently which is quite encouraging is surprising as well um I mean Scunthorpe are in a false position I mean I was talking to them they started badly but yeah let's see if we can get some momentum going um I thought we played quite well first half clearly we had a I, I actually didn't see the goal because someone stood up and was moving seats right in front of me I just Saw the guy kick it, so I don't know what happened before that. But let's get over today, see what we can do. Um, I was I was disappointed we didn't make progress in the FA Cup because that's always a bit of fun and money. Um, but credit to Maldon and Tiptree. I thought on the day they were excellent. They're much better than the station. Or as Martin Link said, they were really conscious of reserves. But but anyway, you know they played great. I mean credit to them. And so we just have to dust ourselves down. And if we can go on another little run like we did, who's to say where we end up? And I think that's the attitude we've got to take. We've obviously got the, whatever it's called, the leasing.com trophy, which I struggle to say. Um, Let's hope we can perhaps get a result there at Bristol Rovers. Um, But there won't be any lack of effort because we all want this club to do as well as we can. And finally, your, what is it now, two and a half years already have been interesting, to say the least. Uh, yeah, but it was more than two and a half because I actually talked to a consortium in December of 16. They made me go through the no asshole rule. I passed, and then they decided going towards the National League was something they couldn't stand. So 
that kind of left me high and dry and we formed a new consortium. And when I reflect back, I think finding Kent was an enormous piece of luck. And he brought his money with him. But no, it's, I mean, I never planned to do this. Despite the fact that I love the club as much as you do, Steve. And I think you've got a year or two on me in terms of following it. But, you know, we all love this club. But being chairman and the hours I put into this place are worth it. I get enormous amount personally out of it. And I just want us to keep building and making this place even better. Good note to finish on. Thank you very much. Thanks, Steve. Chairman Nigel Travis then talking after the Scunthorpe game. Uh, a lot of faith in Ross. Just relax. No end date. No deadline now for any more changes. Um, Trevor, they've come out and ad- admitted a mistake. Uh, the decision was to do it quickly, make a clean break. Uh, the right thing to do or a little bit harsh? Well, it was the right decision because it was unanimous across the board. And... Uh it was just the, the, the chosen of the, the PR which followed, which I guess is for club damage limitation more than anything. I mean, my personal opinion in hindsight, any appointment that was going to happen, whether Ross stayed or didn't step down, should have been in-house. Um, but that's, that's all right after the event because... Whatever going forward, I feel that the natural process of breaking the National League winning side up will just happen naturally. And then maybe we don't promote from within whether Ross makes successes of it or not. And in Nigel's own words, in one thing he said, he goes, we may employ an outsider. Because I said on previous shows before, anybody coming into the football club in the last six months and going forward was on a hiding to nothing and obviously that's what happened with Carl but it's you you can't imagine what it must have been like for the fella going in there and trying to break this band of brothers up which I've seen in the worlds there so that everybody's going to be back behind Ross everybody backs Nigel because he, he, he just talks sense every time he put a microphone to him. But they did seem surprised. Players, coaches, everybody at the club seemed surprised at, at almost what Carl Fletcher was like, despite having done all that due diligence. And just the, the way in which it clearly just didn't gel with the players or the coaches. Well, we're not... But I'm not privy to see what went on the training round. I just get little snippets which people want to tell you. And... Well, he was a Jekyll and Hyde character, and obviously, if he's interviewed well and he's come across and the references were great, this, that and the other, but put him into a situation. I, I still felt any person was on high enough. I know I said it again, and I feel that we wanted a young coach. I like the setup, but we've got a young coach now going to be the manager in Ross, so I like that side of it, but... Who knows what went on in the fella's mind, what he's going to do. I've got to change this. He may have come in for three, four months and then get to the window, which was six, eight weeks away, I believe. And then what players he doesn't fancy, which ones he wants to change, then maybe done it a bit slower. But to come in and then just 
by all accounts, sitting in the office on your own, you, you're making yourself aloof to start with, aren't you? I mean, at the end of the day, from when you look at the bunch of players, what tragedy they went through, they still look like they have a laugh and they're close together. But then to, to alienate a group that quickly, well, Jesus, I, I'm speechless over it. I mean, because we all... The show when Carl was appointed, we, we, we all said, yeah, good luck. He's got decent credentials and by all accounts, he's a cracking coach. And But if you can't man-manage, he should coach, shouldn't he? Yes, maybe maybe that's uh, maybe that sums it all up. Really, the the man management, um, which he may not have been doing all that much of, in maybe in in his last job at Bournemouth, I suppose, as as the loan manager there. Um, and ultimately, I suppose the other thing it was it, it was all down to results, just like every manager everywhere. I mean, if Spurs were fourth in the Premier League instead of fourteenth, would would Pochettino still have been sacked? If we'd won at Morecambe and, and beaten Malden, would, would Carl Fletcher still be in a job? That's the one thing which every head coach or manager has to, uh, has to accept, isn't it? Well, I think he was obviously given a couple of free games with the Malden and Tiptree and the, the leasing dot against Brighton. He had two opportunities to have a good look at the players. The performance against Malden was below par, but we did miss... Well, we didn't miss chances. We just didn't hit the target. It could have been a lot different football match. Didn't go to Morecambe, but... Most people said it was flat, but you could look at the Carlisle game. Everybody said, what an exhilarating 45 minutes of football. But results dependent, but some of the performance they did lack. And I looked at his demeanour on the side at times. And I thought, oh, I felt sorry for him in the end because it just wasn't to be. And you've never known our fan base to be completely unanimous about something. I mean, normally they, they, you, you get it split, but... I did. I did worry him in his first interview because he. I thought he was a bit dismissive of um, Dave Victor. Who every time he interviewed Justin and Ross, they gave him the utmost respect, and I, I thought he was very dismissive. And I, my alarm bell started ringing then, and his own demise is there. And, and fair play to the board. I mean, I didn't think they would do it that quick. And the other thing which came out in the uh, in the Q and A before Saturday's game, which we'll come to a bit more in a minute, was that they were clearly concerned and and surprised again by the number of changes in personnel which he wanted. Uh, it sounded as if there were a lot of players who he simply wanted to bin, and and they were a bit concerned too about the sort of players he wanted to bring in, and and maybe either didn't understand the level, the League Two level, uh, saw weaknesses rather than looking for strengths and, and clearly wanted, uh, one of the things that has come out, wanted a lot of changes pretty quickly. Well, I said in the previous bit, he should have bided his time before he, he, he goes making wholesale changes. We're not privy to the list um, of who he wanted out, but this squad is obviously special to those in and around him. So, like, Nigel was given the list allegedly and if he looks down his heart may be ruling his head I mean that's all I can say there on that but yeah, we all know that one or two are probably not quite making it at the moment but I'm not qualified enough as a football fan of 40 years to see what goes on with the technical side of it and um, you know this this squad will break up eventually and it's going to if it's done naturally over a period of time and they can replace any player that leaves got to be better on paper, whether they can produce the stuff for, for Leighton or and it doesn't always work out, does it? 
No, a lot of people, as you say, weren't in, impressed with, with the interviews. Uh, he probably came off badly in, in comparison with, with Ross there. Um, and after those, to be fair, after those games as, as a youth team manager and, and as a loans manager at, at Bournemouth, he wouldn't have been doing a lot of media, uh, wouldn't have been doing a lot of media work, which is so much more important these days and, and uh, so much so much more public than, uh, than it used to be. Um, after having listened to and, and conducted a, a good few in managers' interviews over the years myself, um, I personally never felt you should judge someone purely on, on how they talk to the media. But the one thing you can say, I think, is that if they're not communicating very well with the fans via the media, then, then maybe there's a problem too with, with players and staff as well. And, and as you say too, that, that lack of passion, uh, a little bit evident in, on, on match days as, as well as... As well as uh, in in the interviews, two things, Steve, which uh, which Ross could could uh, never be accused of lacking lacking the passion. Has, has he always been like that? Sorry, has, has Ross always been as as passionate as that about his football? Yeah, without doubt. Yeah, as I said, you know, he's um, always been involved. Like all, all three of my young lads, um, I, I started uh, at Leighton Orient in 1989 when um, Frank Clark was a manager assisted by Jimmy Allabone and uh, Bernie Dixon was the head of the um, Centre of Excellence um, and obviously having three young boys my wife had to deal with most of getting them to and from the game so she wasn't too pleased about that um, but I think you know all three of them um, and especially Ross were really passionate from a, an early age I think the difference with Ross um, was that I think he made his mind up as a, a quite a young young man at the, at the age of 14, really, that, where, that he wanted to get involved in coaching. So when I used to go over and uh, deliver coaching sessions at different levels, he would come along and assist and help and watch. And uh, he's always been like that. So I think, yeah, he's been, always been enthusiastic about having a, a coaching role. And is it your fault that he was drawn to the Orient in the first place? Were they very much the family club? Uh, I'm afraid so. <laughs> no, no, no. Yeah, I, I mean, as I say, I've been around the club for quite a long time. Before I started there um, working as a centre of excellence coach, I, you know, being a local club, we used to go over there and, and watch them quite regularly. Uh, and the boys would be with me as well, yeah. So, uh, yeah, he's been involved with Orient for a long, long time. What, what was he like as a player? Uh, I don't like to say it because he's my son um, but no he, he, he was a good player midfield player very creative um, wasn't the quickest and I think that was a big influence on you know him going to the next level um, but very good on the ball um, yeah exciting player to watch and he played, he played, what, got as high as sort of semi-pro? He went to Bedford, he ended up at, didn't he? Yeah, yeah, he played quite a, a lot of semi-professional football uh, again, because of his passion for coaching, this sort of had an influence on to really the highest level we could achieve. Uh, obviously, getting to training sessions and that, you know, they would be uh, taking place at the same time that he would be coaching. So, as a young young man, he had to make that decision whether he wanted to go and achieve the best he could as a player or achieve the best he could as a coach. And I think, you know, his passion for coaching obviously took precedence. 
and he worked at, at Swindon with Martin, didn't he? Of course, so, which which has probably helped, and and one of the reasons that Martin has uh, Martin Ling has such a high opinion of him. Yeah, I, I mean Martin, uh, myself and mine. When I when I again was a, a centre of excellence coach, and Martin was still a, a player at Leighton Orient, decided that he wanted to do his coaching badges. He used to come down and work with me uh, when we was based over the old Eastway Centre. Um, uh, yeah, so uh, Martin knew Ross as a young player, and so sort of been in, co- in contact with Ross for a number of years. Well, Martin said at that, at that Q&A on Saturday that, that he has all the credentials if he wants to be a top manager. Um, do you think that, that he will be happy as manager or head coach in the in the Orient session, or will he would he eventually be happier reverting as number two? Do you think? <laughs> Things change. I think you know. I, I mean, I can't answer that for Ross. Um, uh, all, all I think I know that he's extremely happy and wants to be the best number two that he can be. Um, things that have happened <clears throat> over the last couple of seasons, you know, with the tragedy of Justin. Uh, and things like I think he's had a, more of an insight of taking on managerial responsibilities. I think at this moment in time, uh, that probably influences his decision of whether he wants to stay as a, uh, a number two or step into a manager's shoes. But you know, I, I can't answer that question for him really. No, of course. But was he was he was it having an effect on him personally when he when he stepped down? There was that unfortunate incident in Colchester, for instance, when someone spoke to his wife after the game, which was only one incident. But was he? Did he seem a bit down about the whole thing at that time? To you, is that why he decided to stand down first time? I think when when you take on the responsibility of being a manager, obviously you're going to get a lot more criticism from fans and, and football people uh, at any stage in your life when people criticise you, criticise you, no matter what you do, that's hard to take. Um, I think he's a lot more thick-skinned now uh, and can accept that and get on with it and have belief in what he does. Um, but obviously, you know, the rubbish that happened concerning his family and that I was really annoyed about that and you know that's not the first and won't be the last time that happens but uh, pardon me I think he's um, as I say got a lot more thick skinned about that and ha- can now handle those situations um, better psychologically you know um, and and not dwell on it for too long well that's good to hear and, and good that he's still got that um, that good reception when it's usually you walk around uh, after the game even after the disappointment of Saturday and uh, applauding the crowd and, and, and getting clearly some, some support back. So it was, um, we've mentioned once or twice the, the Q&A which, uh, which took place before, before the game. Um, I, I thought a lot of credit to, to Nigel Travis, to Martin Ling, to Danny Macklin for, uh, for carrying on with that two days after sacking the manager. Um, Richard Emmett, the American, and other directors joined them later as well. And I mean, I don't think there are. I know it was planned in advance, but I can tell you there'd have been a few clubs who, uh, two days after taking a dramatic decision like that, would uh, would have decided there there was going to be a diplomatic cancellation, perhaps rather than fronting up like that and admitting their mistake. Um, Trevor, you you've seen and heard some of it. At some of it since it, it was quite uh, very frank, wasn't it? I mean, almost a, a, at times indiscreet. I felt some of the things they they came out with. Yeah, I mean, I said earlier, I, I can listen to Nigel Travis all day long, and uh, I'm not big on Martin Ling, but I appreciate what he the job he does for the football club, and we've been given more details of what 
he actually does now, which makes you appreciate what he does. It's a big organisation, though, you know, and obviously Steve's in here tonight saying some of it as well. In the, uh, the Q&A, uh, Martin, he, I think he was quite defensive of his decision and the, the process, how we come to that decision. And uh, he got, well, I don't know if the word's aggy or aggravated with one or two of the questions that were given to him. I thought it was quite feisty. I, I know I wasn't physically in the room, but it, it looked feisty. And um, one or two fans well, given their point of view. And, and the one thing I was surprised that Martin openly admitted, he, he reads the forums because he said at one point, I could look people eye to eye in here who would call me so-and-so. And then he actually he actually swore a couple of times, which I, I, I was flummoxed why, because it was as if he was in the coaching horses with a couple of pals discussing why Carl Fletcher had gone. Um, but saying that the the guys were just dead honest and, and and what more can you want from a football club? I mean, could you imagine Levy sitting in uh, the new shiny stadium and saying, do you know why we sacked the fella to get Jose? And I'm not sure you can. So the fronting up is fantastic. Whether you get the, the answers you want or you didn't get the answers you want and there was one or two bits which I thought were very good. They, they put to bed about Tisdale and um, the the that was actually the first question, wasn't it? I mean, I don't know what they were expecting, but the very first question from one of the fans was, "What about Nathan Jones, Paul Tisdale, Neil Harris as managers?" And rather than Martin, rather than saying, "Well, not really appropriate to talk about individuals," possibly he said, "I don't think any of those people will come to the football club at the moment when they've been managing at Championship level," which was one way to put it. They they then told us about the uh, Nigel that uh, again typically had been watching the under 18s play that morning against Luton and told us he'd uh, chatted up the Luton chairman and found out what their budget was and told us that was £8 million. He then told us what Millwall's budget was, which was £15 million. Uh, the implication being, and I'm sure, sure he's right, that both of those budgets are a pretty long way above Lake Norian's. Um, so they were, and the other one, the other manager was mentioned, uh, someone said Derek Adams, uh, who's subsequently gone to Morecambe, had been down at Plymouth and, and got a good few mentions before, before Carl was appointed. And Nigel said quite openly that he'd been interviewed for, for the Orient job. They got references on him and the references weren't very good. Um, and he then, to be fair to him, he, he said he, he had a con uh, conversation subsequently with, with Derek Adams and, and Derek Adams was very pleased to, to get the feedback about why his references weren't very good. They said they talked about Michael Flynn at, at Newport and they talked about Daryl McMahon, who's, who's only been at Macclesfield for a short time. And, and Martin was, was very keen to point out that, that, for instance, that he has had far fewer uh, league games as, as a manager than, uh, than Carl Fletcher had. But um, as Nigel said in our interview, they, they were convinced they got the right man. And, and in his words, uh, we screwed up. Um, talking about screwing up, the other thing, for anyone who hasn't, still hasn't, it is still possible to listen to this on, online. If you, uh, uh, Dave uh, Victor has put a, a link to it on, on uh, social media. Uh, Martin Ling said he'd realised about 10 days after the appointment that they'd made a mistake and he thought uh, at some stage, he said, uh, to be fair, and this sounds fair enough, that, that he doesn't like asking Sam about what's going on in the dressing room and what the other players think. He thinks that's not fair on, on him and not fair on Sam. And he eventually uh, decided he ought to have a word with Sam about what, what the dressing room felt. And Sam said, I told Mum two weeks ago that you'd messed it up. 
it's, he didn't actually use the word messed up, um, but this is a family show, so we've censored that bit. <laughs> so it was pretty clear what, what was coming out of the dressing room, wasn't it? Um, and, and the other point that, that came over very strongly, of course, is, is as you said, the, the great faith which they have in Ross. So, um, yes, I, I felt uh, uh, credit to them for, for coming up like that, and I think you're quite right. I don't think we'll open the paper in the next day or so and see that Daniel Levy is, um, is fronting up about the um, extraordinary change that, that he's made there. So, um, Steve, let's go back to Steve and, and hear a bit more about the, the role which you're doing. It, so you, you really have these dual roles, one development uh, with the club at home and then when, when tell us a, first of all about the, the global uh, element of it, uh, where do you go and, and to set up the, the coaching schools and so on and, and, and what, is, what is the benefit for the club of that? Well, f first of all, um, you know, w when the guys came back, uh, as in Martin Ling and um, Lewis Spencer, uh, who's the academy um, manager, um, asked me to get involved um, in doing some bits and pieces with the academy. Um, I also was asked to look after the college programme, um, but I'll go into what we do abroad first. So we decided that we wanted to take the Orient name out to different places. So um, Nigel was very um, enthusiastic about getting a player development camp going in uh, his local town, which is, which is Wellesley in Boston. Um, so we done our first camp there la the year before last. Um, I already have connections with um, a previous club that I'd worked with, with my, my previous club, uh, which is based in Fishkill, New York. Um, so we go over there and, and, and we run player development camps for their, for their players. What, what sort of ages? Are they? Uh, that that ranges from sort of five up to eighteen. Five so, year olds. Yeah, yeah, um, and that's obviously boys and girls out in the states, as we all know. The girls' program is massive out there, <clears throat> so it's about developing partnerships with them. So when we had a uh, tournament at the end of last season in May on the main pitch, the guys from Fishkill actually flew over, took part in the in the uh, competition. There was about fifteen. Um, adults with them, they all went down to the, the, the training ground, they was to met the first team and stuff like that uh, and spent a lot of money in the shop which I think the club will be quite happy about. Um, we've done quite a few uh, sessions in uh, with a team that we work in in Denmark um, again player development camps, coaching clinics and stuff like that um, and, and they have come over 35 of them came over about two months ago, again went down to the training ground, we organised a game for them um, they went and watched the match, um, spent about £2,000 in, in the shop again so big smiles all around there but it, it, it's about creating um, partnerships with, with these clubs um, because of the success we've had in Wellesley and Fishkill, we've got sort of about 200 young people running around uh, America in Orient shirts who are now, you know, streaming the games. Uh, they're eager to come over. Um, we've just started um, delivering the same sort of player development camps in Chandigarh in India and I've been approached to sort of start a camp in February just outside Mumbai in a place called called Pune. Um, these all obviously generate money for the club but not just working on their camps we're encouraging people to come over 
as a team. They stay here for a week. They have the opportunity to, to go to the training ground, be coached by academy coaches, go to the game um, and have the experience of going and visiting London. So, you know, it's the whole cultural thing as well. Um, what I'd like to say is I think a lot of people think that Martin Lynn sits behind his desk and just says, yeah, get him and get rid of him. That's not at all. He, he is really hands-on with everything we do um, and, and really supportive. So when people come over, he's the first to come over to the training ground and talk to the people, show them around the stadium. We've got the same sort of support from Nigel and Kent. Um, when we was working in the States, we finished... Um, coaching in Boston, drove down to Fishkill. Nigel took it on himself to get in his car, drive down to Fishkill, which is a three hour drive. He was there for an hour talking to all the people, having pictures taken, and then drove back for three hours. So I just think, you know, the commitment they're showing in everything that we're trying to deliver as a club um, is really positive. Kent is really supportive, really interested when the people come out came over from Denmark, he spent time with them, time talking to the players and their parents and they was over the moon with that. He promised them that he would have a brief visit there in the summer. Um, so as I say, you know, the, the, the club, it's not just about what's going on, that's obviously the most important thing on how the team um, performs on the pitch, but it's about um, coming away now from the global stuff, sort of our college programmes. We've got three college programs up and running at the moment, <clears throat> pardon me, which are all local. And that gives people, young people from 16 to 18, the opportunity to, to further their education uh, and play football at the same time. Um, the added bits that we offer, I think, as a college program more than other clubs is that the opportunities they have within the club. So through the, my experience and, and, and knowledge and uh, partnerships with people, I can uh, point them in the right direction so that they could go on to achieve the best level they can play at, which might be, might be semi-pro football. I've got um, people in the States that uh, I've worked with and we've got three young people that are now on scholarships in America. We can offer them experiences within the club if they're interested in sports science or physiotherapy or anything you know we're, we're hands on there they can come in and do work placements and stuff like that uh, we've also got good partnerships with local businesses so they come in one being G GOL who um, run all the fitness centres in Waltham Forest they come in and talk to the spoke to the young guys and girls about um, opportunities to work for them apprenticeships and stuff like that um, so, you know, it's about people to talk about um, Leighton Orient being a family club, a community club. Uh, and we always have been, and I think we're going in the right direction to try and um, work with the local community and improve things for local, especially local young people. Excellent. That's all very good to hear. And um, you're obviously heavily involved with the, with the the youth football and the academies too, as you have been at various clubs. What's the strength of our academy at the moment? I think um, you know, as I say, I, I visit the academy quite often and and talk to the coaches and the head of the academy, um, and we're in a good place. We've you know, ever since I've been working with the club, we've produced many many players that have come through and gone on to play for the first team and play for teams at a higher level. Um, 
you know, the structure of our academy is really good. We've got some fantastic coaches working there. Um, and I think, as it always been with Leighton Orient, because we're surrounded so, by so many big clubs and so many young people getting involved at a real young age, age of six and sevens and going to academies, we have to, we have to offer something different to keep these the better players that might go to Arsenal or Spurs or I don't like to say those names too much um, but yeah uh, um, you know I think we're in a healthy place um, obviously there was the scare about not not getting promoted and that would affected would have affected the academy so there was a little bit of a stutter last year I suppose um, but things are, are going full steam ahead and as I say we've got really really good um, people in, involved in the academy. Excellent. Well, the, the under-18s, in fact, uh, who uh, Nigel Travis was watching on, on Saturday morning, beat Luton by two goals to one. A good result, that, against the Championship Club. And uh, meanwhile, two players uh, were abroad with Cyprus. Uh, Hector Kirianu, a uh, very composed player, when I've seen him once or twice, was playing for Cyprus under-19s in the international break. And um, Rul Sotiro, who Carl Fletcher had decided to loan to Dover, was called up by Cyprus under-21s again um, after scoring for them, I think, a, a month or two ago. Uh, that, of course, was just after he scored the winning goal against Southend in the FA Cup for Dover. Um, though I, th- I think it's only a, a one-month loan, that one. So we'll, we'll wait to see coming up to the start of December. We'll wait to see what happens on that one. But they do seem to be coming through, which is, uh, which is something that, uh, as, as you say, Steve, we've always been very proud of at the club. So next up, it's uh, home to Forest Green Rovers, the world's first vegan football club, the greenest club in the world, according to FIFA. That's official. That's what FIFA called them. Uh, there'll be no double cheeseburgers when we go down there at the end of uh, February, but it will be an interesting trip, I'm sure. Quite looking forward to getting down there. Um, those who don't much know much about them, they, they've actually been around for over 100 years or so, various leagues, mainly in Gloucestershire. Uh, they won the FA Vars in the, in the early 80s and then started moving up the leagues and got to the conference about 20 years ago. They went to a new ground in 2006, not not a very big one, it only holds 5,000 and they've never actually had that, their their record crowd is a bit below that. Um, They lost twice in the playoffs but they got to the Football League in 2017 just as we were going in the opposite direction and since then they finished 21st and then last season 5th which was a good effort uh, reaching the playoffs when they narrowly lost to Tranmere who, who went up of course. The manager is Mark Cooper. I was going to say not our old striker, but this one, in fact, Terry Cooper's son, who apparently played one game for us in 1997 to 98. And Trevor, as I suspected, is looking confused. You don't remember that one, do you? And I'm not sure many people will. <laughs> I'll tell you what it was. It was um, 1997 to 98. Uh, we'd just beaten Doncaster 8-0 at Christmas, which I imagine is a game you do remember. Oh, yeah, I remember that one. You remember that one. And the very next league game in the new year was away to Cardiff City, a 1-0 defeat. And uh, Mark Cooper, this Mark Cooper, son of Terry, came on a substitute before disappearing off to Rushton and Diamonds. That's the the last we saw of him. And in fact, our resident anorak, that's me, 
says uh, that Cardiff game was also the only game ever played by Darren Pitcher. If you remember that name, was quite well known at Charlton and Crystal Palace as a midfielder. He, he played in that game as well. Anyway, that's, uh, that's all in the past. Mark Cooper, son of Terry, is now the manager. And in fact, after they lost at home to Plymouth last weekend, which knocked them off the top of the table and put, um, put Swindon back on top, his first word apparently in a radio interview with BBC Gloucester was a swear word. So they immediately cut him off. Uh, and that was the end of the interview. So he's a candidate for the uh, the shortest interview in the history of radio. So I, I guess we have to uh, hope he's still in a pretty bad mood by, by five o'clock on Saturday. But uh, Trevor, they've only scored 20 goals, which is actually fewer than our 24. Mm. But like almost everyone else, they've conceded fewer than us. Only 11 conceded in 17 games, which, uh, which worries me a little bit. So what are we expecting? Well, what we're expecting is a, a tight game, I suggest. Um, listening to the other podcast last night, the Love Radio one, they had uh, somebody from Forest Green on. Quite confident, lad, thinks they're going to win 2-0. But um, they play possession football, and uh, they suggestion of overplaying. So I think there'll be a lot of possession based because we like to keep the ball as well. But um, they had a couple of good results, 6-0 or 4-0 against Walsall in the leasing and Billericay in the Cup. But prior to that, their form is not great. Two away wins at Cheltenham, which is probably a good one, but 2-2 draw with Mansfield and they lost to Exeter. But they've got the National League boo boy with them. They've got Ibu Adams. So if anybody dislikes him still, who is an excellent player for the O's when he played, I, I quite liked him. But because he uh, he didn't sign for us, he gets uh, a little bit of stick. But um, I'm predicting a nil-nil draw. Sorry. <laughs> well, the good news, uh, as far as the players were concerned, was that Joe Widdison and, and Connor Wilkinson were certainly close to fitness, and and Lee Angle is obviously getting there. James Turley's been a sub too, of course. But uh, I think we agreed we need Joe back certainly for now. Yeah, definitely. I, I, I thought in the early part of the season, Joe was struggling coming back from his injury, but he's really turned into a very, very good League Two player and, uh, yeah, one of the first on the team sheet for me. I've liked him from from the day we've had him and he's just progressed into uh, an excellent player. And he's got a score because I was coming back from the the toilet when he scored last time and uh, I've still not seen the fella score a goal, so... Uh, as normal. Come on, Joe. Do it for Trevor. Do it for Trevor. <laughs> yeah, come on, Joe. And are we close to knowing, closer to knowing what our best striking partnership is once everyone's fit? I mean, Matt Harold has done very well, and and I felt a bit sorry for him to be honest, battling away up there. Um, and often a case I thought of the other players just not getting close enough to him. In fact, if you remember our goal against Malden, uh, James Dayton was right there for once when mm. when Matt nodded a long cross down perfectly and, and Dates was able to score. Um, we could do with a bit more of that, but but who would be the first choice strikers once everybody is fit? I would go straight in with both of them. I would go with Wilkinson and Angle, full stop. They were development of partnership. Yeah, it's harsh on Matt Harold, but he's a great player off the bench, as we all know, but I, I have to be honest, I, I, it was coming along nice now. I like Lee Angle a lot and uh, I'd, I'd put them straight back in, even if we got an hour out of both of them. There's, there's enough on the bench to come off now. With we, we can load the bench with strikers, why not? And uh, definitely need a bit more of a cutting edge up front, which in recent weeks, because of the injuries and the suspensions, we, we lost, didn't we? I mean, Wilkerson was on fire, really, before he, he, he see red, but never take that out of a player's game, in my opinion, and I want to see him straight back in there, both of them, you know, straight in there. 
and any midfield changes. Uh, Daryl Gorman, George Marshall, a lot of people didn't seem very happy with the, the central midfield pair and, and you expressed reservations maybe mm. about a JMD and, and Brophy playing out, both playing out wide. Yeah, I mean, I, I like both players, but I do wear my army sleeve. I prefer JMD to James Brophy. I think Marshall will add a, a little bit more... Um, energy than Clay at the moment but he still doesn't put the forward pass forward enough maybe I like um, Gorman because he, he does try and take a player on and he will have a shot and, and he will always pass forward he, he's not a negative player at all and probably just needs a good run in the side but that's a conundrum Ross has got to do because you, you can make a case for all our midfield players all day long and, and that's the potential still in the club isn't it you know it's, and that's a good thing to have now we're getting I mean is anybody injured I don't know no, we've well. We have been. Uh, I think overall been a little bit unlucky with the injuries, haven't we? I mean, the the, the red card, as you say, for Connor Wilkinson, a, a bad time and and self-inflicted really to miss him for three days. But um, uh, and, then, and then to come back against Morecambe and and to have to go off straight away. So every team has injuries, of course, but we haven't uh, we haven't had the best of them. So it sounds as though we might need a, a bit of inspiration to um, to break down Forest Green on Saturday. A um, couple of other quick ones. We're almost running out of time. Um, thanks to Southend United getting a rare win over AFC Wimbledon, we qualified for the knockout stage of the uh, the leasing.com trophy, everybody's favourite tournament. The bad news is it's an away tie against Bristol Rovers, which will be on Tuesday, December the 3rd. That's just after the Saturday of the FA Cup, when unfortunately uh, we are not involved. Uh, any, any old memories of Bristol Rovers, uh, Trevor? Do you ever go down there? I never, various grounds? I never made Eastfield. I went to the one in Bath. It's not um, a much travelled place I've been to, Bristol Rovers. I have to say I always prefer going to Bristol City for some reason, but... <laughs> Yeah, um, actually on the game itself, as we haven't got the FA Cup tie, I'd actually like us to put in an absolutely full-strength side just to um, pay back the fans for the Morton and Tiptree game. And also, you know, let's get to Wembley. Whether you like the tournament or not, there's a, there's a wrong to be righted. And wouldn't it be just nice if we, we got to the final and... Uh, buried the, uh, the trophy defeat while winning this one. And I think a lot of people will have a tear in the eye if they did. And myself personally, I'll be at Wembley, don't worry about that. No boycotts here. <laughs> Very fair. I, I did actually get to Eastville once. In fact, I think my uh, my only Orient away game at Bristol Rovers was at Eastville. That's how long ago it was. It was a, it was a very big game. It was this, anybody who remembers the 69-70 to 70 promotion season. It was late in the season, and I think it was Rovers who were up there with us and, and Luton as the three teams who were after those two promotion places. It was I do remember it because it was the first game I ever reported on the Orient uh, for the Walthamstow and Leighton Guardian. Unfortunately, the, the scoreline, which I had to type out, said Bristol Rovers won Orient nil. But we recovered. We won the title, of course, and uh, and all was well. So that's uh, that's Bristol Rovers. But a good point. Uh, if there is no game on the Saturday, if they don't ar- arrange a, a, a private game or something, then maybe we will see a slightly stronger team going out. Just a quick plug in the last uh, 30 seconds for um, the Orient Walking Football Club. A busy couple of weeks. We, uh, we were at Chessant today, unbeaten in four games, uh, playing at Godalming on Sunday. And then uh, Sunday, December the first there's a, a tournament internal tournament 
in memory of Dave Knight, the great uh, old O's loyalist who sadly died a couple of months ago. And well, well done to all those who've been joining in the women's sessions as well on Thursday evenings and Thursday lunchtime. That's all about it. Thanks to Trevor. Thanks to Steve. Do come in again. This has been the Orient Hour on Phoenix FM. Up the O's. <laughs>